Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this emergency episode of A Thompson and Other Disappointments, uh, one of the Fuck This Week editions. Uh, if you've, if this is your first time listening to this, then uh, Fuck This Week is the solo version of this uh, of this show, where I just sort of basically try to make sense of the senseless, right? So whatever's happening um, in the public consciousness uh, that hour, that day, that week, uh, just try and pull it apart. Just try and talk it out to myself like a madman. Um, such has my uh, loneliness and isolation through fatherhood and the pandemic um, gotten so bad that now I'm I'm literally resorting to talking to myself. That's what that's where I'm at. How are you doing? Um, the the big news uh, today is obviously the Keir Starmer speech um, went down pretty well, in my opinion. Um, I watched about I think about half of it. I gathered that it was a lot longer, but then I had to fuck off and uh, and pick up my kids. Um, so yeah, hashtag dad life. Uh, so I missed, I missed the last bit of it, but from what I saw, it was, it was going down well. There was, there was a lot of heckling, <laughs> uh, which I think was to be expected. I, I had a brief exchange with Supertansky beforehand and she had, she predicted it. She was like, oh, I bet there's going to be fucking like the far left of Labour are going to just cause him trouble and they're going to wait till, the, you know, this is supposed to be his big moment, the big climax of the, uh, of the of the conference, um, and they're just going to try to imba- embarrass him. Like they tried it earlier in the week with um, with the one remaining member of the shadow cabinet who was uh, Corbynista. I forget the chap's name now. Uh, resigning at conference time uh, to to cause the most embarrassment, uh, supposedly. Um, I, it didn't really work, I don't think, because nobody... Well, I didn't know his name. Um, and actually, let me just... Part, I'll pivot there for two seconds just to say that I'm supposed to be on a break from the news, okay? I'm supposed to be ignoring the news for one month. This is part of my, like, annual journalism-adjourned thing where I just try to not be a news junkie for one month, just four weeks off of the news. But do you know what? I've sort of I've buckled a little bit here because uh, although I wasn't you know, actively watching the news, this is about the future of the Labour Party. And it's a subject that's close to my heart. And uh, and I thought, do you know what? I will watch his his conference speech. I'd like to see that. So um, uh, so I did. I've, I've dipped my toe back in momentarily. Um, but yeah, so there, there was a bit of heckling uh, and and various people predicted it and. Uh, there was supposed to be some sort of upset when this chap resigned earlier in the week, but it didn't really come to pass. Uh, there was the Angela Rayner um, thing about where she called all the Tories scum. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. She didn't call all the Tories scum. She deliberately, specifically said, uh, I think, uh, am I am I throwing sociopathic into the mix? Did she call them sociopaths or did she? It was something along the lines of like Etonian sociopathic scum uh, and uh, I got a message from a friend of mine who who referenced this, and he sort of I, I wouldn't describe him as right wing, but he seems to sort of lean right in some of his p- political uh, leanings, and um, and he he referenced it, and I I said like I'm always fascinated by people who take umbrage, who who appear to be more upset by the word that you use to describe something rather than the thing that you're actually describing, right? So I, my example to him was, uh, you know, it's like somebody saying, coming up to me and going like, what? like why, why do you look so shocked? And then me going, that cunt over there just punched an old lady, right? And then you don't look around to see if the old lady's all right. You just look at me and you go, 
don't say cunt. <laughs> like, saying cunt is unacceptable behaviour, right? Like, really? What about the old lady that just got punched in the face? I don't care about that. Never mind about that. We're talking about your language aid and how unbecoming it is. Like, there's a real element of that, I think. And, like, no hate, no disrespect to, to this friend of mine, but uh, I'm, I'm bewildered by... Like, it, it sort of smacks of opportunism, it 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 speaks to this idea that you know it's it's people um, just giving Labour a kicking and just giving Angela Rayner a kicking when they can. Like I saw, I think it was James Cleverly that was doing like the the morning rounds, the breakfast rounds this week. I saw like occasionally I've I've popped onto Twitter and I've seen like little um, like shared articles and stuff, and so I saw that he had been on breakfast TV about it and. Uh, I think it was him, or was it, uh, there was another guy as well, Sean, I forget his surname now, he was going to be the mayor of it, he was campaigning to be the mayor of London, that guy. Um, and both of them were saying that it's, oh, it's out of order. It's, no, that is totally uh, unacceptable. And <laughs> and it's just like, oh, come on. You know, like, what is acceptable then? Let's talk about what's acceptable in in modern politics to the conservative party so lying in parliament is acceptable not correcting the record is acceptable uh deducting 20 pounds from people's universal credit who can't afford it is acceptable um hiking like we don't need to go through all of the manifesto commitments that they're breaking or have broken uh, or lying to the queen like all of these things are acceptable but describing the people who do these things as a four-letter word that is not even swearing, <laughs> that is, oh, no, you found, you. that's the line there, buddy. You've, you've crossed it. Like, that is, that's where I get off the train. You know, so it's, it's, it's that sort of, um, uh, yeah, like political opportuni- opportunism that, that rubs me up the wrong way or confuses me is probably a, uh, a more accurate way of describing my reaction to it. It's like, I... I can't. I cannot get my fucking head around why you would have an issue with saying that versus the behaviour that she's describing. You know. But anyway, let's not get off uh, too much on a tangent. Um, we want to stay focused on on Starmer's speech. That's what this podcast is is ultimately about, um, or, or this episode rather. Um, there was there was a couple of zingers in there. You know, I think if if you're going to put yourself forward as a serious contender to be Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, like it or not, there is a huge personality uh, layer to this. You know, you have to survive the beer test. How many times have I spoken about the beer test on different episodes where whoever is being pitched against Boris Johnson needs to be somebody that you would sit down and have a beer with, that you would feel comfortable having a beer and laughing with, you know? And, and 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 that's true in uh, American politics as well. Like if you look at um, uh, all of the recent candidates over the last like, 10, 15 years in American elections, the winner of these elections always tends to be the person who men would typically like to, you know, sit down and have a beer with or that women find charismatic. Right. And Boris Johnson, I always say, like, love him or loathe him and plenty loathe him. Um, but he is seen as this sort of jovial um, you know, good t- good time Larry, is that the, the phrase? He's seen as one of these people who's, you know, a bit of a joker. He was on Have I Got News. He was, um, you know, he was a popular guy even before he went into the London mayoral elections and, and so on. Um, so whoever's going to go up against him needs to be someone that has some level or sniff of charisma. And so I think throwing a couple of zingers into that 
uh, into that speech today was was probably the right move. I think, especially the, the 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 sort of jokes that you normally get, I think, in political speeches are a bit sort of, uh, you know, and I get really snobby about this kind of shit because I've done I did stand up for years. And um, and so when people attempt in some sort of half assed overly polite way to crack a joke that you know that they're, it's just their PR team have gone like, oh yeah, no, this would be good. What do you think about this one, Martin? What if he says that, you know, and it's it, like, then they go out on the stage and it's all forced. And But this felt different. This was a little bit risque. This was like, I, I think it was something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, my dad was a tool maker and in many ways, so was Boris Johnson's, right? Uh, so he's, he's calling Boris Johnson a tool, right? Now I'm pretty sure... I've seen that joke on Twitter before now, like going back a couple of months. Um, but I mean, it wasn't worded in exactly the same way, but the gist of it, you know, it was all about his dad was a tool maker and Boris Johnson is a, t- a tool. So it, it was something along those lines. So I don't know if they just pinched it or if somebody wrote it for him. But anyway, it was it was good. It was a little bit um, uh, on the wire. Like, you know, like when I talk about... Uh, people delivering jokes in an overly polite kind of forced sort of way. This wasn't like, this felt sort of a little bit like, Oh shit, you know, calling somebody a tool <laughs> at your conference speech. I don't know. It sort of felt, felt a bit dangerous guys felt a little bit, you know, I liked it. Um, I wasn't expecting it. So I think, I think that went pretty well. Um, the, I think the sad thing uh, to focus on is the heckling. Uh, like the negative side of 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 labor really at the moment um it is it, the the party seems to be stuck in this kind of uh this this state of division and tribalism and in many ways it's a sort of microcosm of British politics en masse right so we're sort of cut right down the middle at the moment in british uh, in Britain. Um, where, you know, you've got Remainers and Brexiters, you've got Tories and Labour. Uh, and then you look at the Labour Party, you zoom in, and then again, it's more division. It's like the Corbynistas and then the Blairites, or, you know, now um, St- Starmerists, I guess you could call them. Um, and and it's just in- incredibly sad and frustrating to see the party behave, or to see some members of the party behave in a way uh, that it, that is against their own interests, and I suppose in in that respect, it is exactly like uh, you know Brexit versus Remainers, or talk, you know, or, or or in my case, sort of like approaching people who I believe personally will not benefit in any way from voting Tory, so they're voting against their own interests, and and it's incredibly sad and frustrating to see them do that. Right um, now, from a Labour perspective, seeing people heckle the the Labour leader in his conference speech is i'm like you fucking idiot like what are you doing you're embarrassing the leader of the labor party uh, in the year before we go into the election cycle you, you like detrimentally hurting your own party because what because he's not far left enough for you uh, because he's not Corbyn, because you feel he's reneged on certain commitments. And, and I, like, I understand all of that. And I'm not saying that they're, they're illegitimate concerns. I think there's absolutely concerns um, and, and they have a right to voice them in, in some medium. 
But standing there at a conference in the middle of his speech and embarrassing him and making the party look bad is so ferociously dumb and short-sighted and self-defeatist. Uh, it is... I, it, like the mind boggles. It's just like, what, what, what do you think is going to happen off the back of this? Do you think they're going to reinstall Corbyn? No, that's not going to happen. Do you think the party's going to suddenly swing super far left? Fucking no, that's not going to happen either. C- Corbyn, I have to be careful to not go off on too much of a rant about this, but I liked Corbyn to begin with. And I think I've, I've mentioned this on, on other episodes, but uh, I liked him to begin with. I thought it was quite exciting. And I like the underdog story of, you know, they opened up the membership and suddenly loads of people swarmed in and voted in this socialist and and all of his voting record was on point. You know, people were so sick and tired of lying politicians and dishonesty and self-serving sociopaths in Westminster that suddenly the idea of this backbencher who had always actually voted with his conscience, even when it meant rebelling against his own party, uh, was now in the lead. And oh my God, like, what could this mean? We could actually get somebody who was not tainted, who was not inked by the system uh, to to make real change. Like, how cool would that be? So what I got on board with all of this. I thought, that sounds really cool. And then the anti-Semitism accusations came out. And to begin with, I'll hold my hands up. I, I'll, I'll just say, I didn't believe them. I just thought, this smacks of a sort of hit job. This sounds like a kind of, you know, right wing press thing that they can hang around his neck and they can say, you know, he's really pro Palestine. And maybe it might be fun if we painted him as a as a Jew hater. And it's something that he can't fight his way out of because he shared the stage with these. But, you know, it just felt like a bit of a setup. Right now, I didn't really I'm just being really honest with you. I didn't really dig too deeply into evidence of his anti-Semitism. Uh, or his relationships with people, or um, or his defences, like, against these accusations. Uh, my interest in it started and stopped at, uh, does this feel like a bit of a setup? Yes. And then spool forward to about, I don't know, six months later or nine months later into that whole anti-Semitism scandal, and basically going, I can't believe he hasn't got a grip on this. What a shit leader, Right. And I know that's not the right, you know, it depends where you are on the political landscape and, and indeed how close to Jewish people you are. Like, um, but I know it's not the right example, the best reason to fall out of favour with the Labour leader. But it felt like to me, if it is a setup, I can't believe he hasn't exposed it or uh, managed to handle it. Uh, and if it's not a setup, I can't believe that he hasn't been able to fight his way out of this, apologise to the people that he needs to apologise to, and and then handle it that way. It was the the, the inaction and the dithering and the arrogance uh, that that made me fall out of love with the idea of a Corbyn leadership. I felt like the leadership was missing. He just didn't have the gravitas. He just didn't have the ownership and the responsibility and the self-awareness to handle difficult situations. And I asked myself, if this individual cannot handle something that is this transparently fraudulent, like let's say, let's, uh, assuming that it is all fake, right? And it's all dreamt up by the Conservative Party and the Blairites or whatever. If it's all some sort of conspiracy to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn and he can't handle that domestically, 
how the fuck is this guy going to perform on the world stage? You know, what is he going to do if you sit him in a room with Putin or somebody in North Korea or, you know, or, or Donald Trump? How is this guy going to behave? How is he going to defend himself? Is he going to end up blackmailed? Is he, you know, these are legitimate concerns, questions that you should ask of your leaders. Is how prepared for leadership on the international stage is this man? And the answer to that question from me was, I don't think he's very prepared at all. I think he's an idealist. I think his heart's in the right place. I think he's probably a very nice guy. And he had some wicked policy ideas. But is he a born political leader to take Britain into the 21st century on the world stage? Fucking nope. Nope, 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 nope. Have a bag of nopes. That's, <laughs> that is honestly where I got to with him. Now, now I know that this is this next bit is going to sound. It's going to blow your fucking mind if you if you're a Corbynista, if you're a real Corbyn fan, and you still sit on the far left of Labour. This will blow your fucking mind. But it is entirely possible, right? It is entirely possible to think that Jeremy Corbyn had a rough ride as as Labour leader, but also that he was a shit leader. And it's possible at the same time as those two things to think Starmer could do better as a leader. I don't think he's perfect. But also with those three things now to still support Keir Starmer. That I know that that is incredible to wrap that round, to wrap your mind around that is is unheard of. I must be some kind of mental genius gymnast contortionist to be able to achieve such intellectual rigor but um but that's honestly that's that's where i'm at and that's where i think most people who are uh, moderate and considered and and critical thinkers i think that's where most of this this is why the labor hall was filled with people giving him a standing ovation because they're sick and tired of that tribalist idealist non-practical, non-pragmatic approach to Labour, all right? Like, it's, it's like, when I spool back for a minute to when I, I was sort of first getting into the, the Corbyn period and getting excited by it and the policy ideas that were coming out and all of that made sense to me. All of it, like, it, and it made sense to a lot of people policy-wise. Like, when you go out on the street and, and they do vox pops with people, they ask people in the street, they say... What do you think about nationalising rail or, you know, what do you think about nationalising the energy companies and bringing energy bills down? And uh, how, how would you feel about free Internet across the United Kingdom? All of these policy ideas poll super, super well with people. They really do. They're super popular policies. All of Labour's manifesto, super popular to people in the street. But then when you tell them, um, well, you know, this is a Jeremy Corbyn idea or this is a Labour idea, they immediately fall out of love with it. So like, that's another massive chink in the armour of like the Corbyn era of Labour is that you not only is the leadership not there but the salesman element is missing as well you can't you need someone that stands up in front of the podium and can sell this shit these ideas to people with a smile on their face and making it exciting and have charisma and that was just missing I never saw any of that from Corbyn um now I'm not saying that Keir Starmer has it in spades because I don't think he's a you know, a born, natural, charismatic uh, wordsmith, you know, comedy deliverer, you know, not <laughs> here I am, you know, speaking of his uh, lack of wordsmithery, 
and I'm struggling to formulate sentences. But my excuse is my daughter keeps waking me up at fucking three o'clock in the morning. And you know what? I'm just, uh, I lose my vocabulary and I get significantly less articulate when I'm on day three of fuck all sleep. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Going back to the, the, the uh, indignation and the, uh, the vitriol that is directed to at Keir Starmer and indeed to those who defend him, right? So I, I will go on TikTok or I'll go on YouTube or Twitter or wherever and I will defend Keir Starmer and say, it's not even about supporting Keir Starmer. It's about getting the fucking Tories out. It's about removing the Conservative Party from power in the United Kingdom uh, to, to remove authoritarianism, to get something resembling democracy back into Downing Street. That is what, all it is for me. And then the sort of comments that you get back are, he's not going to bum you, aid," <laughs> Which, look, I, I love a, a nice bit of, you know, tit for tat and uh, a bit of British humour and shit. But it's, it is the, the inability to, to uh, find a distinction between supporting pragmatically the leader of the Labour Party as a route to removing the Conservative Party from power and somehow being some big Keir Starmer hero worshipper like that leads down a dangerous path when you invest all of your time maybe money uh, and emotions politically in one man <laughs> one man and his dream and you know because as soon as he's he's fallible as soon as he fucks up or he doesn't meet your expectations that is then then you're so emotionally tied to that individual that you don't see sense you, you're then in a situation where you're like a Bernie bro or you are, a, you know, a Corbynista or um, or a fucking Michael Jackson fan outside the trial when Jacko was, you know, they were hearing evidence about what he had done to these boys and how this had happened and that had happened. And these these nurses had seen this evidence. And but there you are in front of the courtroom going, la, 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 la. No, Michael Jackson forever. Like hysterically support it like. That's where you're headed when you hero worship and you wrap up all of your emotions and devotion to one individual. It never ends well. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a weird sort of projection that the left, left uh, employ in that where they have wrapped up such devotion to this one individual um, uh, he is the representation for them. He is the representation of all that Britain could be in a in a socialist nirvana, right? Uh, and and so then they assume that people in my position or perhaps your position, or, uh, that we also project all of our uh, emotion and time and hope and faith into this one individual up there with his nice hair and his perfect suit, and you know, and it's just not the case. It's, uh, I think anyone that thinks about this shit intelligently looks at somebody like Keir Starmer and goes, he could be better. He's not perfect. You know, I would personally, I'd rather Emily Thornberry was leader. I think she's more charismatic. I think she's funny. I think Keir Starmer would make a great foreign secretary next to her. Um, but that sort of pragmatism and that sort of, you know, that there's no room for that from the left left. With them, it's like all hero worship, Corbyn or bust, you know? I uh, I did enjoy the reactions on Twitter today to uh, to to the speech. Um, my favourite one was from Owen Jones, uh, where, <laughs> where 
because he's not a Keir Starmer fan at all. He is absolutely on the left left of uh, of the Labour Party. Um, and look, I've this sometimes Owen Jones comes out with some pearls of wisdom, and I really appreciate and like what he said and i think you know he's a smart guy then other times he comes out with some utter fucking garbage and i'm like oh my god what does this say about me like maybe all of his other points are fucking rubbish as well and i've like where does this leave me in my intellect and what i think about and how i reason if this guy who's able to spout this fucking nonsense if his other points i'm like oh it's a really good point you know like does it does it really dilute my intelligence, if... Like, like the, the shit he came out with today, he said, um... Uh, he said, if you... If you care about heckling, or if you're making a song and dance about heckling, uh, and if you care about that more than Keir Starmer's broken pol- promises, then you should just say that you don't care about democracy. That was his point. I'm, I'm not wording that very well, for reasons I've already touched on, but... It, like, it was something along the lines of... Yeah, if you if you care more about people heckling than you do about Keir Starmer's broken promises, uh, then obviously you don't care about democracy. Uh, and uh, and I thought, wow, you know, here is a guy who habitually blocks people if they say things that he just doesn't like. Don't even have to be abusive. <laughs> you just just say, ah, you know, Owen. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'm with you, but I think on this, you actually you might be a little bit wider than my, ah, blocked. Like, just mercenary. Here's this guy who habitually blocks people uh, for saying something that he he just disagrees with or that he just doesn't want to hear right now for whatever reason. Habitually blocks them. And now he's on Twitter opining uh, that that we should all listen to hecklers because they have the right to voice their concern. <laughs> right? The absolute vacuum of self-awareness. I I know I've said this before, but Siri will achieve self-awareness before these motherfuckers. Like, uh, Owen Jones, to to block people uh, voicing their concern and then for him to go on Twitter and go, I think you should listen to these hecklers voicing their concern. Like, oh my God, mate, would you look at yourself? Did you hear yourself as you typed that? Really? You understand that you are Owen Jones, right? Um, It's... uh, it's, I, I don't know, man. It's, it, sometimes I think, like, am I, when I, when I articulate my stance on these things about, like, like, the important thing is to remove the Tories from power, and the best way to do that is to all unite under one umbrella, um, all vote Labour, or get some sort of um, progressive alliance running, uh, and if you can't get a progressive alliance running, then um, uh, you should vote tactically and there should be some sort of organisation that manages it. Like, when I, when I say all this shit, and it makes perfect sense to me and others who are, you know, like-minded, uh, where does that information go in the left-left? Like, does it go in their ear and just one out the other, straight out the other? Or do they hear it and they just don't want to hear it? Or do they hear it and then they respond to it in a way that I'm unable to digest and consume? Or because it never feels like that gets addressed, you know? It's like, you say it, you say the important thing is to get the Tories out of power, uh, and then it's like a, you know, brick wall. It's like, yeah. Or it's like, yeah, well, um, yeah, we we wanted to get the Tories out of power, but then you got rid of Corbyn. So, um, uh, sorry, if we don't, like, now we return the favour by, no, we're not supporting kids. You know, it's like real tit-for-tat childishness. 
And it's like, I don't know how you win over people like that. Do you just like give them a bouncy ball? Just go like, yeah, I see you like child games. So here is a fucking, I've got two kids. I can't even think of a child's game at the moment. Buckaroo. There we go. Um, It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, It's like my priority, remove Tories from power. My priority, get rid of authoritarianism. Their priority to have Britain radically overhauled overnight into a single puritanical socialist nirvana. That is, <laughs> that is the difference. Is like, my, my goal, I feel, is actually achievable. If we use the mediums that I, I touched on a minute ago, like the, the uh, tactical voting, progressive alliance, uh, everyone voting Labour, you know, whatever. Everyone unites. That's the important thing. Uh, their goal of radically overhauling, you know, like nothing is ever socialist enough, nothing is ever left enough, um, is I just don't see it. I just cannot get my fucking head around how they think this is going to happen. I think in their minds, they think we figured it out. We understand everything. We know that the world should be super socialist and, uh, you know, everything should be nationalised. And there should be this, this and this and everyone should pay uh, uh, like higher taxes. And, and you know, and I, like, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm on board with a lot of this shit. But I know that the UK is not. <laughs> I know that politically, electorally speaking, that uh, it, it would just it would be impossible to overhaul the UK into this sort of socialist ideal uh, in the way that they need it to be to, for them to get on board. And so I think if you can't radically overhaul Britain that quickly, what are your options? Your options are to elect a more progressive option than a Tory authoritarian. Uh, And that is Labour. And then once you get them in power, you form internal lobbying groups in the same way that you've got the ERG in the Conservative Party. um, And then you make your case. You, You have meetings with Prime Minister Starmer and you say, have you thought about doing this or... Um, you know, and then you represent the case of nationalising energy companies. I mean, fuck me. They're, they're falling out with Starmer for reneging on his pledge to nationalise or to support the nationalisation of energy companies, right? Uh, that was one of his commitments. He was like, yes, I will support common ownership of energy companies. Uh, and now he's saying he doesn't. He's saying, he, uh, I don't know if we're, if we're there yet. Uh, and to me, I find that disappointing. Uh, I find it uh, slightly, I don't know, slightly frustrating because it's, you know, energy is something that everyone uses. Uh, there's, it is effectively a monopoly. You've got, I think, four or five big energy companies and they all price fix. I don't think that's outrageous to say. Um, so in much the same way as trains provide a sort of monopoly service, there's no real choice for the consumer they should be nationalised because uh, all that happens is a, a load of people funnel a load of money into these companies. They pay a shit ton of shareholders and then treat their employees like shit and everybody suffers. Everyone gets ripped off and the service is shit and they don't reinvest uh, and so on. So I personally, I think common ownership or public ownership of these companies would have been good. But look, look around, man, like... <laughs> The Tories are in power at the moment. So whatever way Keir Starmer swings on this is not going to make much difference right now. So why not? Like, wouldn't it be better to support him as the more progressive option 
and then once he's in power, reopen the conversation, open the dialogue. Look, look, Keir, I know you said this when you were campaigning, but we've given it some more thought and actually here's some more research. Like, is it really worth tanking the Labour Party the year before the election cycle because of this? Like, like, do you not see how damaging that is and how much that then condemns everyone to another five years of Tory rule? It is the short-termism that, that baffles me. Um, the other thing that struck me today was um, in watching some of these hecklers, uh, there was one lady in particular who was filmed, I think, on BBC or Sky News or something, who was doing the rounds. And, um, uh, and she was, you know, vitriolic, just shouting again and again, at Starmer, and to be fair, like again, like I mentioned earlier about Zingers, but he handled it pretty well. Uh, uh, I think there was a line in there about you know normally at this time on a Wednesday I'm handling heckles from Tories, and it doesn't bother me then, and it won't bother me now. Like that, that sort of you know blase, brush it off kind of thing. I think that's the right way to handle it. But this woman, this woman was shouting at him, and uh, and and presumably she's from the left, you know, the left left. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I think this, what, what's interesting about this is these are the same people who, when, you know, centre-left types like me were in, in disarray, right? So in, in, as, as the, uh, the Corbyn honeymoon period was sort of, you know, burning out a bit and concerns were being raised and centre-left types like me were, were like, oh, I don't know, you know, I, th- I think I'd feel more comfortable uh, in, in an election, if there were a credible leader of the opposition, uh, I'll still vote Labour, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think David Miliband would have been a better bet if we could have got him back. And um, these are the same people then who were saying shit like, well, socialism's making a return. Labour Party's gone back to its roots. If you don't like Labour like this, then you can fuck off. You know, like there was a real dismissive attitude of it, you know, like, uh, 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 like this is my Labour Party. This is how Labour Party, the Labour Party, is now. And if you don't like it, you know where the door is. You know, like that that sort of mercenary, callous, uh, totally the opposite of like a broad church uh, party um, back then. And now these are the same people who are shitting their tits about like no well I, I this this labor party is not being inclusive to my turbo socialist idea well hang on a second like i thought two three years ago you were like oh this is how the labor party is there's there's you go get your coat you know how how can we have swung so violently in the opposite direction and for these people to not have any self-awareness about that um it's the the the, the factionalism in Labour will be its undoing. Um, it's it's something that doesn't really seem to trouble the Conservatives in the same way as Labour. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if they cut dodgy deals with the various factions. I don't know if right-wingers are just less intelligent, <laughs> less, don't critically think in the same way as the left do. I think on the left, if you have a, if you have a conversation with a left, you know, a turbo lefty, a super socialist. And then you have a conversation with somebody that is centre left, just a bit progressive. And then you have a conversation with somebody who is an environmental activist, 
but in other walks of their life, they're actually sort of fairly centre. You know, anyone that sort of leans somewhere into the left political sphere, the left of the political sphere, sorry, um, you can have a fairly intelligent conversation. I think, you know, in my experience, I think my conversations with people on the left tend to be more stimulating, more intelligent, more intellectual, more considered. Uh, when I talk to people on the right, not all the time, but a lot of the time, the people who vote for people like Boris Johnson or the Tories or what are fucking brainless, politically speaking. They don't know why they're voting for them. They couldn't name a policy uh, if, you, if you offered them a blowjob. <laughs> name one policy on the Conservative Manifesto. Uh, 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 I will suck your dick twice if you can name me one policy that isn't get Brexit done or oven ready dick. Oh, fuck, man. I've always wanted a blowjob from you, Aid, but it's not going to happen today, is it? No, mate. I'm afraid not. That got really weird. Sorry. Um, it's uh, And so I think that is the left's gift and curse, in a way. On the left, I think we critically think more. We look at stuff like the environment. We look at stuff like trans rights or gay rights or uh, we look at... Um, uh, you know, a fair deal for workers and um, share options for employees and pension rights and, you know, all, all of that shit. Maternity leave, we look at all of that stuff and it's all important to us and we really think about it and we value it. Uh, and if somebody doesn't tick the box for the thing that we hold dear, whether it's NHS funding or the climate or like whatever then that turns us off. We're like, ah, oh, I don't know, you know, I do want to vote green, but they're not quite there on their fiscal responsibility. You know, we, we, we reason about this stuff. Uh, and and I th then that sort of fuels like factions. It fuels like, well, you know, I do like Labour, but there's, you know, I'm more in line with the momentum sort of, you know, there's, there's this way of, of, of then thinking that we, we should split out. Like, e even if it's not, internally in labor like you know a momentum and um uh, and starmer situation or a momentum and corbyn situation or whatever uh e even if it's outside of labor but on the left it's like oh well i you know i wanted to vote labor but uh yeah i felt like they, they fucked up on this and and so anyway i voted lib dem instead well great okay now that's fifty thousand potential labor votes split 25,000, 25,000, and then what? The Tories get 30,000. So had all of the left voted together in a progressive alliance, then the Tories would have been kept out of power. And you wouldn't have, I don't know, the universal credit uh, robbery and the NI hike and a, a chaotic Brexit and a starved NHS. But you voted with your values and that is to be commended. I know that, you know, I, I take the piss a lot and I know a lot, a lot of other people take the piss about like, you know, just don't be so short termist and don't be so self-defeating and um, but, like voting with your values is a good thing, but it's just not, <laughs> you just have to be a bit realistic about it. It's like you could vote for the guy that stands up there and then says, I'm going to save the world from climate change. Well, you could vote for that guy and it's with your values, right? I'm going to save the world. I'm going to stop global warming. He says he's going to stop global warming. Oh, well, I'll vote for him then because that is, that's with my values. I really care about the environment. I've got kids and, um, you know, I don't want them to grow up in a world that's uninhabitable. So yeah, okay, you got my vote. Well, great. <laughs> you voted with your values, but it's not practical. It's not realistic. 
So wouldn't it be better to vote for the guy with the nice hair and the nice suit on the basis that he's the closest thing that you can get? This is the problem, man, right? With, with, with politics now, and look, I wasn't around consuming political information in the 70s or the 60s, but I just get the feeling that when politics was a bit more boring, that when it was before Twitter, before all the tribalism, and I just get the feeling that people were more reasonable about this shit. Like in my mum and dad's day, when my dad was 40, in like, what would that have been? The 90s, early 90s? Uh, or even like when my grand, and you know, grandparents were around in like the 60s and 70s. Um, do I think that they would have split off into like little tribes of left and right in the same way that people do now? I just don't think they did. I think they looked at it like, well, uh, you know, the rights are obsessed with immigration and keeping taxes low and, um, and you know, X, Y and Z. And the left are talking some crazy shit about, you know, this, this and this. Which one do I? Oh, I guess I, I'll vote right on this occasion because, I you know, they reflect my concerns most close that's the key thing people used to i think vote for the candidate who most closely resembles their own values that's most closely resembles now people look for the perfect package and the reason that they do that is they go on facebook or they go on twitter or instagram or whatever and they post a tweet or they post a status and they say um they say, I didn't like Starmer's joke today. I thought it was crass, right? And then 100 people retweet them. And then 500 people reply to it. And they go, yeah, I, I hated that joke as well. It was bang out of order. And Corbyn's the king. And, and, you know, and then they feel empowered. And then they feel like they're part of something. They feel like they're part of a tribe. And in an increasingly disconnected world where we spend more and more of our time online and more of our time in lockdowns, I guess, now and... Um, and a bit more isolated and working from home and uh, that feeling like you're part of something uh, against the backdrop of a lot of financial chaos. Remember, like a lot of people never really came out of the 2008 crash. They lost their houses. Um, they, they got stuck in the rent trap. Uh, they their rent goes up every year and they're getting poorer and poorer. They don't get wage rises. Um, and and the uncertainty and the chaos as a backdrop and then to feel like you are part of something that's pushing for change uh, or you're part of it, like you're on the side of rightness and righteousness, like is, is probably a bit of a dopamine rush, I think. And I think that's, that's probably the difference now is like people, people feel included in politics in a way that they wouldn't have in like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Politics has got way more exciting and interesting, but unfortunately it's got way, way more turbulent and volatile. And I don't know where it, where it ends. Um, I don't think it's going to fix itself. I think the only way that we could fix politics now is if we shut down Twitter and Facebook. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> anytime soon. Uh not least because all the politicians fucking advertise on there, don't they? So I don't know. Anyway, listen, guys, I've been chatting for a while. It's been 43 minutes of me talking to myself. 
Um, if you've listened to this, please do drop me a tweet uh, on Twitter. Be part of that political bonfire. Uh, pop me a tweet at Aid Thompson. And um, please do share the podcast around. I'm doing my best to, uh, to try and get a little bit more content out. Um, I always feel like a bit of a tip when I say that. But yes, I'm trying to get a little bit more content out and about. Um, so if you've got friends who are interested in politics and dystopia and tech and all of that jazz, then please do um, send them a link, see what they think. And uh, oh, uh, also, super big favour, if you wouldn't mind dropping a review on um, iTunes on the, on the podcast app, that would be incredible because apparently that helps. And uh, I don't know how you do that on Spotify or any of the other apps, but if, if you can do that, then that would be cool too. Um, anyway, that, that'll do for now. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch up with you guys soon. All right. Ciao for now. Bye.